online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Well, hello everybody. Welcome to another amazing After Buzz TV after show for your favorite show, Hemlock Grove. We're on Season 3, Episode 6, Pendant. I'm your host, Sean Overman, and you can find me at Sean Austin O on Twitter and Instagram. I'm joined here by my lovely co-hosts, as usual. Hello, everyone. I'm Marissa Serafini. You can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV. And I'm Mary Lamandel. You can find me at all social media at Mary Lamandel. All right, and we're uh, going to be joined later on by our very special guest, Joel De La Fuente. Oh my God, I'm so excited! Ah, he plays <laughs> Doctor Yo- Doctor Johan Price on Hemlock Grove, which is our f- our favorite, arguably our favorite character yeah. mm. on the show. One of our favorite. Oh gosh, so uh, I can't wait until he gets on the line. Um, please let us know when he is on. I'm sure our engineer, whoever is producing our show, will cue us up. Um, but until he gets on, let's go ahead and talk quickly, well, maybe not so quickly, about Olivia. Oh my gosh, oh. this girl. Ooh, this was quite this an girl. episode for her. <laughs> she is losing it. Oh my gosh, she's crazy. Craziness. Okay, so it looks like Ochoa returns to her from being gone, going to the Keys, driving down there, taking his boat overnight, right? Something like that, coming yes. back. And uh, there's the whole... she. She has that pendant that he gave her, right? Chongo. And uh, Chongo, she, we see her, like, playing with it, fiddling with it during the first part of the episode. And she put it... Did she put it in the sink? It looked like she put it in the sink. She put it on point. the table. She put it on the table. Yeah. Right? And Side then, table. Yeah. And then uh, Ochoa comes back, right? So she's... Like, hey, boo. I decided <laughs> to come back. I said, I, uh, I did not trust that. You know what? I, I didn't think so either because that was way too quick for uh-huh. his return. I did it first. When when I was like I was watching it and I was just like okay you know what yeah okay cool he came back you know no big deal right just like you know like she's not so unlucky but it turns out that she's losing her mind and she, is. she puts the pendant down where she thinks you know on the table and it it's actually not there um, because she's not doing anything she thinks she's doing and I had a feeling this was going to happen because. Uh, I think it was two episodes ago, maybe it was even last episode, where she was talking to herself, walking out of the Godfrey Mill, Rooster Poot. Uh-huh. I was like, what if she's like, this is the beginning of her uh, psychosis, right? She's starting to talk to herself, and and then she reaches a Choa, right, at yeah. the car. I was like, okay, all right, she was meaning for it to get to him, or she was just, like, getting it out of her. Like, I'm sure sometimes we, like, outwardly monologue to ourselves, but not like this, you know. She's been doing it the whole episode, and we get to see that. More so the whole, whole season. We see her talking, yeah. she's talking through her issues and whatnot, mm-hmm. trying to convince herself things are better than what they really are. So, I mean, we, 
it was led up to believe that Ochoa is still right. alive. Because yeah. she's vain, but we've never really seen her talk to herself in the mirror like a, like the last episode or one of the others yeah. where she's like, girl, you look good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was last episode because yeah. then she saw the the mm-hmm. black veins creeping up on her chest and she's like, oh, what is this? Oh, yeah. no. And she starts patting it Yeah, I've always felt she was like quietly confident and it just like exuded off of her. She wasn't so much like talking herself up in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's getting worse. Yeah. Her physical condition is just... Yeah. It's, now it's all on, on her arms was, and whatnot. Yeah, it's disgusting. Like, <laughs> when she was with fake Achoa, right? So she was showing her arm, and it's just, like, all the way going down towards her elbow. Mm-hmm. It was looking really necrotic and, like, almost like the cells were dead, right? And she's dying. Yeah, she's dying. And then she... It was funny how, like, Achoa, fake Achoa, I can, I, can we call him just regular Achoa? Imaginary Achoa? Achoa? Yeah, Imaginary Achoa. Yeah, Ghost Achoa. Ghost Achoa. <laughs> I like that better, actually. Could be Ghost Achoa. Yeah. Ghost Achoa. So he takes off his shirt. It's like, oh, what an excuse to show you his body. Mm. Did you girls like that? Eh. Uh, I thought that the, the makeup work they did, if that's not really his scars, was very good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was interesting how she she's actually physically getting deep with someone. Yeah, and I was like, okay, they're going back to their physical emotional wounds. It's like, all right, she's really grown attached mm-hmm. to Ochoa. When mm-hmm. I saw her doing that and just the way they were with each other, I was like, wow, this is the most loving we've ever seen, Olivia, loving and forgiving too. Mm-hmm. Like, even if a man had come back to her, she would probably bite his head off, which she. I guess in a way she ended up doing. <laughs> she did. Uh, yeah, but like when they were in the the mansion and like giggling and you know they're like hey, he's gonna hear us. I was like, yeah. oh no, yeah. No, and I thought that was so out of character for Olivia. We've never really seen her laugh that much no. or like mm-hmm. have fun and be somewhat in childish in a way, right? Like, like a, that's... a budding romance like when they're at the mailbox and that that whole interaction was strange. And then when they showed the reality of it, and then she was saying like what Ochoa was saying yeah uh, it was so weird I was like wow she lost it yeah she really you know what when I heard him say that so I was I was like literally watching it on my iPhone walking in the street I was like that sounds like to Ochoa you know like mm-hmm. something like someone would do to impersonate Ochoa ah, I was mm-hmm. like and when I saw that too I was like Boricua oh is he like Puerto Rican that, that that must be like what he is now like now we finally get that reveal we knew he was Hispanic uh-huh. but right. we get that and I was like, that that just doesn't sound right. You know, it's like from South Florida. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's Puerto that totally makes sense. It's a Latino yeah. culture, yeah. So it's just like, oh, this is what Olivia's doing in her mind, and she's just playing like she's playing everything out like she's really in this romance with him, or really her brain and the parasites are tricking her into that. And we also know the parasite affects the brain, so mm-hmm. she—it's literally not. She's not thinking straight. Yeah. So yeah, the and brain we had, thing we had that exposition. Is, was it in this episode that Johan said it to uh, Roman? I think it was in. Yeah, was it in this episode? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I think we have. Uh, you know, speaking of Johan, we have Joel De La Fuente on the line. Who is Doctor Johan Price from Hemlock Grove? Joel. Wait, that's me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Joel. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. How are you? Great. Thank awesome. you so much for calling in. We missed you so, so much. It's been over a year since we've talked to you. Yeah, it's great to be back. And that mustache is full <laughs> and robust. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. It is it is Movember. I'm going to be shaving it tonight at midnight. Oh, God. God. Thank- I, I've been monitoring that the same way you've been watching our episodes. So <laughs> Do you have an after show about Sean's mustache? 
<laughs> yeah, that merits its own after buzz. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Maybe next year we'll do that. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. And we have so much to talk about regarding Price this episode and things we've learned about him uh, last episode. So let, let's go ahead and like fire away some questions. Do you guys have some questions for Joel? Oh, my goodness. Joel, hello. I haven't talked to you in two years, so like I've missed you last Hi. season. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Um, so... Your character has—we've seen him evolved all these seasons. He's so interesting. We're seeing so many different complicated layers to him, um, especially with you know acting and just the storyline and the dialects that your character has to speak. Is there? Um, do you have any like certain acting techniques, or what did you do to that helps you with all these different accents and languages your character had to speak? Uh, well, it's uh, doing accents and, and um, impersonations and things like that has always been a, just something that I've enjoyed to do. And um, I think uh, it was sort of a happy accident. I don't know if we talked about this last year, but um, the wonderful actress Shauna McDonald, who played uh, Dr. Zelaznova Bordakovskaya, um, the, the, first, uh, the first episode in season two, we had a scene... Um, and Shauna speaks fluent Russian, and so um, she was able to translate some of her lines into Russian because her character is Russian. And at the end, she thought, "Wouldn't it be great if you answered if you answered me back in Russian?" And so she taught me uh, a sentence just on the day to respond to her, which sort of um, told the story in a quick moment that I understood everything she was saying in Russian. And so I think you know it was fun to do, and I think the writers sort of loved that um, that change. So they sort of started. Uh, incorporating this idea that Price could speak, you know, every language. So <laughs> it became this sort of fun back and forth thing where um, they would write these amazing, crazy things and I would try to do them and then they would answer back to try to do more things and I would try to do them. And so it became a fun sort of um, back and forth competition thing where uh, th they were trying to come up with things to sort of you know, make me forget my lines or, you know, make me laugh or make me, you know, do all these things. And it was just such a fun, fun kind of collaboration. I mean, I, I think uh, the way that the character was able to become a joint creation between, you know, the minds of all these different writers and, and everybody on set was, was, was really fun and unique. It just seems like unbelievable. You really play that you can, you can, you probably can answer everything that the writers throw at you and you're able to do all these impersonations and these crazy long lines and all this biology jargon it's mm -hmm. it's really quite amazing oh well that, that's not i mean you know it's 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 a lot of work <laughs> you know it's not like um it didn't come uh, it, it didn't necessarily all come easily but it certainly was in the spirit of um there was a spirit of play and fun um uh, in the creation of all these things that uh, that isn't that doesn't happen all the time, but I, I think there was there was sort of like a meeting of the minds as far as um, you know. I just I just feel really fortunate and lucky to have been um, to have sort of gotten the chance to work together with everybody to to create who he was, and certainly everybody had all these great ideas. I mean, there you know each writer came up with something great for their episode that sort of added to who the character was and and that would give me some ideas and it just you know it, it, it was just a real treat uh to come to work and 
to get the new scripts and to see what sort of crazy zany things they had come up with for, for Price. I feel like in the writer's room there's got to be some kind of bet going on on who can come up with the best lines for, for Johan. <laughs> well, I I know that certainly for this last season, um, I know that we're you guys are up to episode six, talking about episode six, but it certainly felt for the first few episodes that, I mean, all like, you know, the gloves came off and, you know, it was like, you know, someone just watched whiplash or something, you know, because (laughs) here, here's, here's the drum thing and speaking in the different languages and the Greek delivery man. And just, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think, I think the, the idea to this great idea that they had to, to take all of the characters out of their comfort zone um, enabled everybody to see characters in a much different light. And by taking Price out of uh, the normal sense of control that he had over everything was a way to really um, get a chance for everyone to see him from a different angle. So you could sort of get a deeper look into who he was because he wasn't in control of who he was showing himself to be. Right. Right. We, we actually had a question about the drums. Right. Wanna... For the drumming scene, a couple episodes back, we see your character just going crazy on drums on all these medical pieces of equipment. Was that really you um, doing that? Uh, it, it, it is me. I mean, I think um, it, it may have been enhanced a little bit in post, to be honest, because it, it, it certainly sounds a lot better than I remember it sounding <laughs> on the day. But that's uh, that, you know, I don't, I don't play the drums, but they, you know, I had lessons. Like there's a really, uh, uh, this fantastic drummer who's in a Canadian band, um, that's been around forever. You know, they, they're a wonderful band. His name is Andrew. He, he's a terrific drummer. And, uh, and I worked with him for a while and he was, he, he was really great in helping me sort of, um, feel comfortable and free doing, doing all that stuff. And, and, um, uh, Michael, uh, Michael Therio, who who plays uh, uh, Blinsky, uh, you know he's like this, the perfect straight man. So you could just do all kinds of fun, crazy things, and it was hard not to laugh watching him respond to like all the stuff. <laughs> that was great. Mm-hmm. And um, let's talk about more of the scenes this episode too. So we have uh, sure. P- Price uh, talking to his uh, his AI in the lab and asking it to do d- different tasks. I kind of got like the feeling that it was kind it was not unlike Jarvis from uh Iron Man and just the way you were <laughs> you were talking back and forth with it was just doing everything you were saying which is great. And could I feel like this this AI what did this AI have a name by any chance? Uh it, there wasn't a name in the script but um uh I I never gave him one either. He was just sort of uh, yet another creation of Godfrey Industries, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you do some research uh, and you find R. Auslander. He's someone to track down. Mm-hmm. You get this guy in... Uh, is it into the tower that we bring him? Or was it somewhere else? No, I, I, I go to Michigan, actually, to oh. um, to see him. Uh, it, there was some stuff in earlier drafts about how I mentioned um, how I could get to Michigan. I, I could fly to... Uh, to Bloomfield Hills and back uh, within a day. Like I, I had some kind of, but that, they cut that out. But he Price basically flies to him um, and and sees him, you know, in his home or you know where he's being treated. 
Yeah, that's right. So we do, we get an interrogation going on, and uh, Price just wants to find out everything he can about Spivak and the creatures that Spivak is, is you know, making and maybe how he's done, uh, you know, what kind of experiments he's doing further. So we get a couple of things out of this. You know, we get, like, estuarine, and then we get sulfur-based creatures. Am I right? Yep. Uh, yep, so, yep. So what, what, is, what does Price see out of all that? Is he making a lot of connections? I think he's getting a lot of information. Um, this is all new information, but he has yet to put it into any um, coherent order. But it's it's sort of the biggest breakthrough so far. And it's an interesting time because he's sort of starting to get his act together again. Um, he's, go, he's going less, think, less on the stimulants now. Yeah, well, visually, like, you know, it's, his hair is sort of combed. It's still long, but it's sort of combed. He's wearing his jacket again. You, you can sort of see him starting to get himself back together, and he's he's um, having these breakthroughs where you know he he's actually found somebody who's interacted with him, and he ties him directly to Hemlock Grove for the first time, and then he starts hearing this information that you know instead of a carbon-based life form, he's sulfur-based. He's interested in all these like water-based activities, um, so it's leading us to the next step. Hopefully, you know, Price can put this information together mm-hmm. and start painting a more, uh, a clear picture of what the Spivak mystery is, which is sort of the thing that's been driving him that led him to get addicted to pills in the first place. He's obsessed with figuring out whatever this new creature is. So we see uh, Price, you know, reaching the, the end of his interrogation, and that's where uh, Auslander actually gives him he gives him the information that he was involved with uh, the twin experiments in, uh, during mm-hmm. World War II in, in the concentration camps, and we know that, and we get to see it even more vividly now, that Price obviously has a soft spot for children and mistreatment of them. So he ends up killing killing, him. killing Auslander. Yeah, Price doesn't stand for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and so... This actually brings me back to last episode where we got to learn so much about Price, his personal life and his childhood. So what like now can you give us like a like a really I don't know, give us more explanation behind like what happened in, in Price's childhood and like how that made him who he is today and like and also like about maybe we could talk about his personal life too and and the techno, techno bank, club bank club that he was going to <laughs> <laughs> Which like memes? Yes, that was that was a moment of inspiration for you, Sean. And I, I, I it actually it, you made me laugh. I heard that last week, and I just thought I've never heard it described. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, pretty much what it is. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so what? So tell us a little bit about from your perspective. Tell tell us about Price's childhood and like what happened to him and how how that's made him who he is today. Uh, well, I think you guys did a great job summarizing it last time. I, I got a chance to listen to the episode last week. And um, one of the things that I would add that I thought was interesting, uh, you know, having read and spent a lot of time with Chick's script as written, and something that I feel like um, that Chick was writing about that, that maybe we didn't fully capture that I thought would be interesting is that um, uh, the the way that we see the episode is that, you know, Price is a child. Um, he he's being made to do these certain tasks, and when he he is incapable of doing them or he makes a mistake, he's you know put inside this um, box. Sort of, it, it seems like punishment, like he's getting locked in a closet, you know, like this special closet. And um, 
while that that tells the general story, I think the way that uh, it was written specifically in Chick's script was originally it was um, I forget the name of the scientific um, uh, box or device it was called, but um, really the the intent of the box uh, of this particular scientific box was uh, to keep you from being touched. Mm. So it sort of like was um, denying you stimuli. And so it, it wasn't so much a direct, um, it wasn't so much like punishment, like being spanked or being removed and thrown into this thing. It really was, if you don't accomplish this, you get put in a place where you don't feel anything, where no one can touch you. Uh, like an experiment almost. Like, you know, like you, there's an experiment of a scientist who experimented on his, his own child and didn't touch the child just oh. to see what would happen if the oh. child didn't experience any physical sensation. And of course, you know, with horrific results. Mm-hmm. I think that that was sort of, that it wasn't so much that the father was interested in torturing the child or punishing the child. He was really experimenting on the child, you know, with um, removing this sort of stimuli from him and, and, and also putting him in the dark. Uh, so it was less punitive. It was more sort of ambiguous and weird. He was sort of, like, similar to the way Price experiments on others, namely the Greek delivery man that he's, del- you know, he's sort of chosen to work on, you know, in this episode. Price's father did to him. So, um, it brings up all these interesting things. I mean, clearly Price was affected very, um, uh, interestingly, severely, um, intensely by that experience. Um, yeah, profoundly. Um, and it's interesting then that even though he rebels against it, he's perp- he's, he's doing the same things to others. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's practicing his experiments on un- unwilling um, participants. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of consequences he suffers um, compared to, you know, any consequences that his father suffered. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's good foreshadowing because we do see that, like, his the entire show, he's always experimenting on other people. So in the one snippet, you know, from last episode, he's experimented on, now, like, looking at it as experiment, which I hadn't even thought of it that way, but that's totally makes sense. Uh, but now, like, we have foreshadowing that, like, the dad was punished for for it so how you know exponentially is he going to also be punished right and it kind of explains why price is so he treats shelly so well and kind of like the the child in in a way a a daughter more so just like he treats Mm -hmm. children um better than adults i think on top of that tumorous is that he um not only is she a child and and has that sort of innocence that he he may have felt that he lost and that he identifies with um, but also she she is a physical manifestation of what he perceives to be his greatest failure. And so he's also indebted to her. He, um, you know, he was able to raise her from the dead, which is a triumph, but in a way that was sort of um, insufficient uh, and also in a way that causes her suffering. So he, he loves her and is also indebted to her at the same time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So we got to learn, uh, you know, along with, Price's background. We got to learn about his personal life, and uh, we we see him um, meeting up with this random guy, uh, mm-hmm. and, and they, they go to the Bang Club, uh, <laughs> Techno Bang Club, Techno Bang Club. It's not just any Bang Club. Yes. So <laughs> exactly, not how, just any. Yeah. Why? 
like what why is price doing this why does he not find like enough time to like you know it i would imagine he's he's probably very busy right with his experiments with everything going on like his experiments mm-hmm. and f- finding everything out about spivak is his life right now so he doesn't have time for you know like a long-term relationship maybe is is that why price is going out and and meeting the, these random guys like off of off of websites off of craigslist yeah or is it just fulfillment of life more so well, I think, you know, I think your opinions and the opinions of the viewers are are um, maybe even more valid than my own. I mean, I can share my thoughts on it, but I think, I think you know, at this point, it's it, it's sort of more important what you guys think about it than what I do. Um, what I was thinking about it is that um, for him, he is fulfilling a basic human need that he feels. So he needs to take care of this need and he is, I don't think he really thinks about relationships because he's very, um, he's very obsessed. Like you said, with the things he's trying to take care of, but he's also very inaccessible. Like nobody, nobody has access to, um, his heart or to, um, his vulnerability except for Shelly. Uh, and maybe only Shelly, like not even himself. I, I don't think price, has accessed those sides of him at all. And his sexuality, like his desire, um, his desire to be with other men specifically, uh, when the need has to be met, he goes and he meets it very functionally, very, um, um, it's very transactional. Um, and it meets a physical need, but also as you see, um, there are other things that are met as well. The fact that it has to be in dark, the anonymity of it, I think, um, the sort of, strange comfort that he feels uh, by being in the dark, even though we think that it caused him pain and suffering earlier, we, we, we sort of discover as a surprise that being in the dark and being in the situation actually sort of makes him feel like he's getting clean somehow, that he can sort of start again, which which I sort of loved about Chick's script, that I, I was very surprised when he says to uh, his, you know, bathhouse lover, he says that he actually... Um, he finds the dark calming, you know, he finds mm-hmm. it soothing. It's not the response that I thought that he would have. Right, which then, you know, now thinking of the box in his childhood being an experiment, like if that's like a deprivation, then his interpretation is it's like a reset button. Yeah. If everything yeah, on the outside so. is bad, then in the box, like even though he rebelled against it, it was an important reset for him. Mm-hmm. I read something too that someone said, I think it was on Twitter, you know, someone just sort of said, um, sort of facetiously, I, I get it, you know, Price has daddy issues. And it made me laugh and I thought, you know, I actually never thought of it that way. As obvious as that might seem, I thought I never sort of put it in 140 characters that way or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought that was, there was something really astute about that as well. Just sort of, um, whatever connection whatever physical or emotional connection he's finding in, in these dark rooms in the situation, it's also inextricably, inevitably linked to his father as well. And, and what he was not, how he was not being touched by the people that he loved. And his mother is completely absent. We don't see his mother at all. So we sort of assume that he was relying very heavily upon his father for a lot of things, like a lot of guidance and emotional support, which you know he, he didn't seem to be getting. So, which is like a through line with most of our characters is some kind of struggle with the generation prior. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. And do you think because sure. the lack of Price's mother and his 
that character's life is also a reason why he's always dripping with disdain every time he talks to Olivia. The <laughs> fact that she's such a detestable woman and a mother to her own children as well. Um, you know, I never thought of it as something attached to someone. I think I think Olivia has earned his his whatever um, whatever anger and disdain he may have. I I think she's earned it. Very specifically, (laughs) you know, over the years, I think uh, he spent a long time um, cleaning up, so to speak, after her. Um, You know, taking care of a lot of unsavory um, tasks that she's left him with, namely, sort of disposing of bodies. You know, for for a long time until they were able to figure out this way to feed her. and of course, you know, she's very unpredictable and her needs and what she demands uh, can be unexpected and extreme. So uh, I, I think his, his love-hate relationship with her is very earned uh, by what's happened between them. You mentioned, um, I want to talk about Olivia a little bit more in a minute, but you mentioned uh, the bathhouse. So is that what the Techno Band Club actually is? I did notice yeah, it's a bathhouse. That, oh, it's a bathhouse. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so tell us. Tell us about like the behind the scenes stuff, like how everything is set up. Is that a set or is it an actual location that you guys sh- shot at? And how was doing that scene? Uh, it was a set, and it was based on um, bathhouses that it was researched, uh, you know, by the writers and by the director. They went to a very uh, specific location, and um, you know, the ownership very generously allowed them in and to sort of see how it worked and everything. Um, and then I think you guys mentioned all last week all the um, the jargon, you know, all the um, uh, the abbreviations and stuff. And you know, there's a whole language, you know, of, of all of these different. Um, there's just a whole language of what happens between people, like the whatever physical transactions, and you know, uh, people are very clear with one another about what they what they want to do and what they want to receive, and all yeah. of that stuff was. Um, um, was pretty carefully researched, and uh, um, and so they built that set. You know, it was it was uh, on the Hemlock Grove stage, so uh, we weren't going on location or anything like that. And um, when you know, when Chick had the idea, he actually met with me. He met with me uh, a few weeks uh, in advance. It was so soon that there wasn't really a written script yet. There was just an outline, and so. I didn't know why we were meeting and, you know, he gave me the script, the outline and said, you know, I, I would appreciate it if you looked at this. Uh, and I said, sure. And he said, okay, we were at lunch and we kind of looked at each other and I said, oh, you mean now? And he said, yeah. And it was, you know, like a 30 page single spaced outline. And so he left and he went to go make phone calls and stuff <laughs> while I sat at the table and I, I read the script and, and soon I realized, you know, uh, it was a really lovely show of respect, uh, to me, I felt like to sort of he was sort of letting me know what was coming, and to see like what my response was and what my thoughts were about it, and um, and you know, it, it was actually as as written and as shot, it was a little more explicit than uh, than than what's present, you know, in in the final you know result. Like you know, we there were more sort of explicit um, interactions between. You know Price and and his lover in the bathhouse. So, uh, you know, I found that sort of terrifying. You know, as an actor, and I sort of knew reading it, and just sort of a very the very loving way in which 
it was rendered, I thought. You know, I, I think Chick thought about it a lot. I think he was inspired by that. And, I, you know, I, the fact that it made me nervous and it felt truthful to some intent that Chick had about the character, it made me know right away that it was something that I needed to do. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, so we had some time before that happened. And, you know, everyone... You know, everyone was terrific. The, the the guy that I played opposite was fantastic to work with, and 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 the process was just really, ultimately, like really gratifying. You know, it was it was um, it was surprising for me, but um, but I'm I'm really glad to have had that experience. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great! Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's <laughs> that's amazing behind the scenes stuff, and it's it is like with Chick showing you, you know, the, the outline ahead of time. That's it is amazingly respectful and he didn't just like surprise you like oh hey today we're doing this you know it's just yeah no really the, nice. you know the, the the writers uh you know led by chick of course but you know it it really did feel like um you know because we all knew going going into the season that it was the last season and so you know right away the scripts that we were getting i could see that there there were huge choices being made i mean immediately to the first time you see Price, for example, he's addicted. He's a, he's addicted to pills, and mm-hmm. it was so starting from such a crazy place. And I knew right away that that's where they're starting. So where is it going to go? Um, you know, it's pretty ambitious, and and I, so I, I you know, um, it was great that they sort of, uh, pa- you know, like paused in places where I needed to catch up, and then you know, clued me in where, you know, in, in places where I needed to sort of uh, time to, to get on the same page. And, you know, it was, it was fun. It was, it was a, a very considerate, exciting sort of um, process. And from everyone that we've talked to uh, that's been on your set, they say that it's a really wonderful, like, group that you guys have and that you happen to be one that goes out of the, your way to welcome everyone. Oh, that's nice. I mean, I, you know, uh, <laughs> it is a great group. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a family, you know, we're a family of monsters. So, you know, monsters <laughs> have to look out for monsters. And, uh, but, you know, we, we were, we were ending, um, we, we knew we were ending, uh, a journey that we had started a while ago. And, and, you know, we've, we've gone through a lot, you know, and, and there've been a lot of different things that have happened and changes, you know, uh, uh, people coming and going. And, um, so it was important to us, you know, it was important to us to take care of each other and to, and to make the most of the experience. And at the end of the day, we were really sort of doing it for each other, you know, like, um, the opportunity to look at each other and the opportunity to, to savor the moments that we had, you know, like, you know, the opportunity to get to do scenes with Bill, for example, um, you know, that are very specific. And then, you know, the opportunity to work with Fomka, you know, and to just really, the scenes, the the scenes that I've had over the last, you know, three seasons with Fomka have been such a treat and with Bill and with, you know, and there are people that I never had scenes with, you know, never had scenes with, um, with Dio, I consider, you know, a really dear friend. And, uh, you know, the wish list was to have a scene with Peter and, and in some incredibly interesting way, we managed to do that before the end of the season. Um, you know, we, we just sort of, to, to, to know that you're coming to the end and you know ahead of time, it, mm-hmm. it's sort of a blessing. So we didn't really take anything for granted. And so, you know, 
so it was great. It was it made it really easy to be together and to enjoy each other and to sort of enjoy every minute together because none of us really most of us don't really call Toronto home most of the time. So mm. when we were there, we were away from our other lives and we were focused very heavily on what we were doing there. So so it was it was sort of easy to then devote even more time to, to enjoying each other and being with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's amazing. And watching everybody and just hearing all these behind-the-scenes stories is just fantastic. We, we love listening to it. I'm um, speaking on, like, moments and having great moments with the cast members. Is there Has there been any of your particular favorite moments, whether it be in the show, in, like, a favorite scene, perhaps, or a favorite story, now that the show's over? that we've seen mm-hmm. or we have yet to see? There's tons, really. I mean, they're, you know, just from this season alone, um, you know, like, it's just almost every every episode, there's something that I was so excited about, you know, so excited to do, so excited to see how others did, you know, things that were coming up. I mean, you guys are talking about episode six today. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something that I, ref- like, uh, you know, we refer to a little bit as, like, um, it's Peter Blake's script and sort of refer to it as his, you know, his sixth sense script, you know, because there's, there's that big reveal um, where you sort of learn something at the end and then you have to sort of re-examine and, and the show does it for you. You know, it re- it goes back and you see all of these different steps that you thought were one thing and, and you realize that, you know, it was something else. And, um, it was really f- exciting because I, I thought it was such a great episode for Fomka, you know, such a great um, way to utilize and, and stretch her in a way that she hadn't done the series before, you know, to get to watch her do all of those different things and, and, and to have that kind of a relationship with Alex, you know, who plays Ochoa, you know, a romantic uh, relationship that, that wasn't um, compromised in any way, you know, like, Norman was always either married to her brother, I mean, married to his, uh, Norman was always the brother of the person she was married to, or they were having issues, uh, or she was, you know, there was always something tragically flawed about all these other characters, and here you got to see her actually, what seemed to be finding a relationship with somebody that she cared about, and who was caring about her, uh, and then to see it sort of change so surprisingly at the end, I thought. So, so that was really fun to watch. Um, but for me, you know, I, you know, the, the drumming, the drumming was so fun. Um, speaking the languages has been so fun. Um, there's something coming up. I think it's in episode eight where basically I feel like Famke and I, uh, get to play, um, like this wonderful actor, uh, Scotty, uh, we're sort of playing like a Noel Coward play all of a sudden, you know, like for extended periods of time, like really text heavy, mm-hmm. sort of witty, funny stuff. Um, it's just unlike any other thing, you know, you know, sort of uh, mistaken or cross identity kind of stuff, which will be sort of a, hopefully a fun thing for people to see. And then, you know, the end is uh, the, the end, you know, the end of Price's story, you know, within this story is sort of, um, I think a really, wonderful conclusion um, to where they've sort of been leading him this whole time, you know, like like his his sort of, you know, because he sort of lost his way a little bit to begin this year and how he, you know, tries to find his way back and I think, you know, I, I think he's able to find a certain, a certain redemption um, before he sort of has to answer to his actions, you know, uh, uh, the actions of his past. 
So does that mean Price didn't die this episode? <laughs> um, Maybe. Well, I think you're going to see Price again. Yeah. Okay. I'm so glad. I was about to talk about that stuff. Price always gets surprised in his bedroom while he's asleep. <laughs> last, <laughs> Where's last, the sleep mask? Yeah, I know. No sleep mask this time. No ice ma- pack mask. Yeah. <laughs> always getting surprised by, like, really tall good-looking people coming into his bedroom <laughs> so funny yeah exactly I mean, so i think a lot of people would want that <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so um, you know the thing about the sleep the thing about the sleep mask is such an interesting thing actually because uh what, you know in season two with you know when roman comes in and price has a sleep mask on i hated i when i first read it i hated it i, I did not like it i thought also, as it was written, I think I told you guys this. Uh, it was written originally like Price is in his house. He, he didn't live in the White Tower. He right. lived in a, a house, mm-hmm. and he was in a bed with dozens of cats, and he had on a sleep mask. Yes, I remember <laughs> you telling us that. That yeah. was hilarious. I can see it now. <laughs> well, I, I hated it. I, I thought, oh no, this is so wrong, and 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 I, I felt like it was, you know. I felt at the time it was making fun of Price. I didn't think it was, I just didn't think it was right and all this other stuff. And then, and then for a bunch of reasons, like the, um, it got moved into his, uh, his home became an apartment and the apartment became in the white tower. And then, um, I'm allergic to cats. So that yep. was the end of the I cat remember. situation. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, but the sleep mask remained and I was furious <laughs> about the sleep mask. And then <laughs> we played the scene. And then the one thing, anybody wanted to talk about you know after the season was my sleep mask and i sort of learned in that moment one that i was mistaken about that and two just watching it i i I learned more about price in that moment like i learned one that um it's okay that there are funny things about him you know and 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 that's something that i tried to embrace more as we went along sort of the humor of this character but also um that I could trust these situations a little bit more. So the sleep mask was, you know, suddenly I became like its biggest advocate. Like I loved the sleep mask at the end. And, uh, and also just it taught, because it had taught me that, um, to be able to sort of, uh, you know, embrace things, uh, that I didn't necessarily agree with initially. So, uh, but, but, but then, you know, but then, uh, you know, the bedroom scenes came up, and I was like, where's the sleep mask? And people like, oh, no, no, a chick hated the sleep mask. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was so funny because because chick had written it, and I was like, oh, gosh, you know, like, I, that's the one thing. I, I hate that. I hate that. So then I do it, and I'm like, oh, okay, I, I, gave, I gave it to you, chick. I, I've learned, you know, and okay, I got it. And chick was like, no, I watched it, and I hated it. That's enough of the sleep mask. <laughs> so we, we, we sort of, like, switched places. Yeah, put that to. But I end. have it. You know that that's one thing that I have. Um, they they gave me the sleep mask. All I have right. it in my possession. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's great. A little going away. There, there, there's certain things. Certain things you got to take with you. Uh, another thing I have is my pill case. I have that, oh, and a nice. couple other things. Mm-hmm. That's a cool pill case. Okay. Very Let me nice. Give back. Any other questions for um, Joel? It's pretty much, I mean, we, we've seen the amazing sets and whatnot of throughout all in the production design and the art design of the show. is fantastic every episode. Is there a particular favorite set or location um, while you were filming or anyone filming uh, in the show that you particularly are really fond of? Uh, well, I think a specific shout-out has to be made to Drew Bowden, who is the production, who is the production designer for seasons one and two. Um, who created um, such an amazing look for the show. Um, 
and Dean O'Dell as well, who yeah. also contributed so much to that. Uh, one of the things, um, I mean, gosh, I, I, just, I just think that the look of it is so specific and great. That I, and I, I, I love the contrast between the White Tower. You know, it's such a, uh, the pristineness of it and then the world of the gypsies, you know, a world that, that I never, or I should say Romani, you know, of, of um, you know, the world that Price was never able to be a part of really, um, you know, just the sort of natural earthy thing compared with like this sort of pristine, sterile whiteness, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel, uh, do you, you're in uh, The Man in the High Castle, which is on Amazon right now, uh, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit, just a little bit about that, um, and uh, about some upcoming projects you have. Uh, sure. Uh, well, the Man in the High Castle um, just dropped uh, on the twentieth of November on on Amazon, so you can see the whole thing um, on Amazon Prime. It's an alternate reality based on a Philip K. Dick novel. Uh, it takes place in nineteen sixty two in a reimagined world where the Axis powers won World War Two. So. The Nazis uh, and the Japanese um, now control what used to be the United States. And the East Coast and basically the Midwest are the greater Nazi Reich. And there's sort of a no-man's land uh, in, in, in the Colorado, Rocky Mountain area. And then the West Coast is all the, uh, uh, the Japanese Pacific states. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a really... Uh, and, and the interesting thing, too, is that the war ended in its 17 years after the end of the war. So... So this new world order has sort of had time, you know, like a generation to sort of mm-hmm. people have been living under this new order for a while. And you find yourself in this world. And within that, there is um, a resistance movement, you know, that, that that's looking to sort of um, change that order. But uh, it's a it's it's really an amazingly realized world. I mean, the world is very painstakingly and it's Drew Bouton again, who's the production designer, actually. So. He, he's cre- he's helped to create um, a really fully realized world that is based on things we know, but you know, with things have gone a different way. Things are sort of unex- there's things that we recognize visually that are being used in unexpected, new, unforeseen ways. Um, and I play the uh, the head of the Japanese secret police, so I'm sort of responsible for keeping order uh, in the. Uh, on the west coast of the United States, or the former United States, and some people would say that I'm a little bit um, uh, uh, mean spirited, but uh, but I, I disagree. But but I think you'll have to tell me you'll have to tell me what you think if you get a chance to watch it. But I, I really recommend it. I think it's uh, there's a lot of resonances with what, what's going on in our world today, and I, I think it's um, you know I think it's a really interesting piece. Yeah, that show sounds fantastic. Yeah, and yeah. I'm so glad that, you know, just like with uh, doc- Dr. Price um, in Hemlock Grove, you're going to be playing a big role in it. I, you're in all ten episodes, so uh, I really want to check it out just because of you, Joel. Just because you make the shows <laughs> oh, you're thanks, in. John. Hey, um, I haven't said hi to Mary Lou yet, by the way. Hey, hi. Mary Lou. I, I don't think we've ever talked to each other No, before. this How is our, our first time. I was very excited. You are my favorite character on the show. Or Johannes. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I also have to say, too, I think there is a distinctly Filipino vibe to this particular episode <laughs> of After Buzz. Yeah. Am I right or am I right? You are yes. very right. <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> Joel, are you, we all, like, have, you Filipino? We should all yes. be eating lumpia. Yeah, we should be eating like lumpia or something. We totally should. <laughs> I did have a, a quick question before we go then, like, because... Uh, 
of you being a, like an Asian actor, like I love in this show that it's never like you're not an Asian character, you're a character that happens to be Asian. And like, mm-hmm. I'm always really sensitive to that when I watch things. Like I just watched The Martian and like in when I read the book, there's definitely characters that I was like, oh, it's totally an Asian person, but it's not in the movie. So like, I always I yeah, appreciate that kind of casting. Um, but when they cast it, was it like, were they looking for like diversity or was it you just rocked it and you know, nobody else could play this character, obviously? <laughs> Do you guys have time for a little bit of a story for me to answer that question? It's it's a couple minutes long, but it's it's sort of worthwhile. I don't know if you have yeah. time for me to tell the story, but I, I I don't think you guys know the story of how I got cast as Joanne Price. Do you? Did, uh, yes. did I tell you the yes, story? Yes, we do. I, I do know the story, yes, but maybe do. maybe you could uh, give us you like abbreviated yeah, brief. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, can, I can just say this. I can just say that if you if you Google if you Google my name yes. and Morgan Freeman, oh. then you'll see a video that I made completely. Uh, for my own pleasure and uh, and sort of like with uh, a friend's um, goading and criticism of, of something. So I decided to try to do an impersonation of Morgan Freeman. And basically that video, which I made for myself, ended up being played for um, uh, Katie O'Connell, the former CEO of Goma International, who was, they were casting Hemlock Grove at the time. They couldn't cast Johan Price. And she saw this she saw this video of this Asian guy trying to do, you know, doing a Morgan Freeman impersonation. And so she thought it was so crazy. So basically she um, got me seen for price. And, and that's basically what got me cast in, in this part. I mean, just, it sort of introduced me. It, it got me seen and my audition tape seen and along with my Morgan Freeman impersonation. <laughs> and that's sort of, um, and, and because of that, it, it sort of, um, it got me into Hemlock Grove and to play this great part and um, sort of changed a lot of things for me. That's so, great. Like, I feel like I maybe have heard that story before, but I'm happy to hear it from you. <laughs> um, great. Well, yeah, I, I'm awesome. always happy to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's by, amazing. By the way, we also have a Panay in the engineer booth as well. That's our associate producer, Alexis Torres. So we <laughs> have just the whole production team and the hosts are over here oh, at AfterBuzz. Completely planned. Completely yeah. planned. <laughs> and, our, and our guest is Filipino as well, so that's amazing. Pinoy power. Like, where's Olympia? We're just taking this. over the world. Come on. <laughs> and you know what, uh, Joel? It's just, it's such, like, a pleasure to see um, a Filipino as well, like, doing great great television shows like a great acting roles as well so you know it's like it's it's I, I really feel very very prideful so thank you so much for being that Joel oh gosh it well it goes both ways I mean I, I'm so uh, you know I, I watched the show I really appreciate it I think you guys are all doing a great job mm-hmm. and um and again it's like it has it has nothing to do specifically with where we're from but the but it enhances everything because I think I think it's really important for art to reflect the community around it. And for so long, it's only reflected a very specific version of the world we're from. And I think, you know, lately we're showing signs of actually like, you know, it's important for people to be able for kids and for everybody to, to, to turn on the TV and to see the world um, on the TV. That is the same world that, that they see when they go to the grocery store, you know? And, and I think that that goes a long way. I think it's really important. And I think it expands our idea of who we are and what we can be. So first and foremost, I think you have to follow your dreams and be the best, whatever it is that you want to be, you know, whether it's you writing your book or you guys doing the show 
or me trying to play certain parts or whatever. Like it's important for us to aspire to be our very best regardless of anything. But something else that we bring to the table, like, you know, whatever our heritage is, that also, that enriches our work in ways that, you know, we have no idea how it might enrich others. And, and I think it's important that, that, uh, that we get out into the world to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Because then like, you know, me as a little kid, if I would have seen, you know, certain kind of faces on the screen, it would have influenced maybe a different direction. But I think I was like specifically influenced into getting into entertainment because I did not see it reflecting back. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So keep rocking it. I love it. Well, Joel, thank you so much for joining us here. And we, we really, really appreciate you like taking the time to talk with us on our podcast at After Buzz TV. And, you know, we, we look forward to seeing you in, in more shows. And of course, you know, you're in Man in the High Castle on, on Amazon. And we're going to miss you and miss Hemlock Grove so much, mm-hmm. but we hope to talk to you more again in the future. Uh, until then, where can everybody, all of our fans and followers, find you at? Uh, you can find me at uh, on Twitter and uh, Instagram at Joel De La Fuente and at, on Facebook at The Joel De La Fuente. Right. Yes, and I, I love Excellent. that you're so active with your social media and like responding to questions and the rumor mill of the soap opera about Johan Price on Facebook. I was like, yes, let's have that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think if you're going to take the time to comment, it's, you know, I should try to take the time to answer. I mean, I, I don't think I can get to, to, to everybody all the time, but I do my best. No, yeah, and people absolutely. see it, and I think that's fantastic. And I, and yeah, and I just got to say, Joel, it's been an honor talking to you every season. And you, your character and you yourself, you're, you're amazing to watch and amazing to talk to. And it's, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. And, I, hey, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the season. You know, I'm, I, it, it gets awfully crazy, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing how you guys respond to it. Oh, yeah. We, we sure will let you know. You know, of course, you'll see the podcast, and then we're gonna, we'll be tweeting at you furiously to let you know. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Excellent. So mu- thanks so much, thanks, Joel. Joel. Thank you. All right. Take care, you guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Okay. All right. Awesome. Is that right? <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah, good evening. <laughs> oh man, I love talking to him every time. Thanks to Joel for, you know, joining us on the podcast. We have uh ten minutes uh to, to wrap up the rest of the show. We have so much to talk about still. Um let's go ahead like Destiny, I know she plays an important role in the show. Maybe we can get to her or in this episode we can get to her at the end, but let's let's skip over to Roman and Annie and Olivia and what's going on with them first. We skipped over Annie and Olivia last time. So let me open it up to yeah, you, Marissa. Because, okay, so we saw in episode five a really endearing scene and mm-hmm. um, more really heartfelt scene between Annie and Olivia just connecting as mother and daughter, a relationship that we never really have seen on the show. And it was just nice to see them actually come from a human connection and be like, I, I'm, I'm really trying to you know, be families. I hope we can get over our past, but like maybe we can have a future together. And I thought that was really... Sweet, but compared to such a dark story that's happening in that family, especially with Roman now, and what do we think of Roman and Annie still? Oh my gosh, this is so yes. crazy! So last <laughs> last episode, he still didn't know that Annie was a sister. He visits her in, in today's episode, and she he comes in with flowers of course he's you know he's godfrey he can do whatever he wants right just Mm -hmm. brings in tons of roses probably a couple dozen and he's like dude i will do whatever you want i will say 10 hail marys for that guard that i killed right and it's just like not enough not enough and come on man like and but then olivia walks in at the perfect moment 
in her stupor of her like parasite driven brain and she just you saw that shot too yeah she's seeing it oh my gosh so right then he's like wait you two know each other and then Olivia's like wait you two know each other what the heck is going on here so yeah Annie was really she was just like cowering in shame on the seat right she's, she's like, like yeah you're right oh I shouldn't have given Olivia Guilty. my address or Roman and now oh gosh and it was so funny because I think there was one thing in the um yeah there there was a line that Olivia said it's like well now you've stuck it to both of your sisters it's like oh, but you can't blame me for yeah, this one that's on you Roman wow so she was brainwashing him very you know very well in the other season right season one with Letha she was yes gosh and I forgot actually oh, I forgot Olivia. that Letha was not his cousin Letha was actually his half sister half sister oh gosh. <laughs> Wow. Still messed up. Still oh. messed up. So fast forward, we have uh, Annie actually come to Roman's house. They have a quick conversation. She's very apologetic. And he's just like, you Not know what? F you. He's totally giving her the cold shoulder the whole time. And, it, and I must say, like, from it, from a gaming perspective, like, male gaming, this guy played his cards right, and he got her to like him even more, even though it was with angry, angry sex. And uh, she uh. called him an arrogant prick! Yeah. <laughs> she did. And, but also, Roman was, you know, very antagonistic in this situation, too, and he's he's pretty much egging her on, being yep. like, yeah, he oh, that was her fine. just enough. So it's a shame because that was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really <laughs> so messed up on so many levels. Honestly, it was yeah, it was it was from you know from a visual perspective, it's a very sexy scene. But from what's going on between the characters and all the relationships that are happening, it's messed up because the brother and sister they know it now and they're still getting <laughs> they're still it on. Yeah, like storytelling wise, I thought the contrast from when we first saw them like have sex and then to this one, like the first one, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. And yeah. then this one, I was like, oh, oh no, no, please stop. No, it's the same two people, but. With with all the information, yes. it changes everything. It's mm-hmm. so funny, but you know they're they're here. I'm gonna make it okay because they're vampires, and that's the vampire culture, right? So and times have changed because Lord knows how really how old both of them are. So I mean, they could be. I mean, we well, know he, he's got to be. He's got to be young. twenty. Yeah, yeah, he's younger, but Annie's still older. So like times have changed with her. Yeah. Maybe she's whatever. Where she gets it. <laughs> She's seen enough of the world where yeah. she knows, like... That doesn't affect her. Laws don't apply to Oop here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm glad we got that off our chest. Oh, yes. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Destiny really fast. Um, let's, so... Just the, the whole, poor fire. girl. Oh, my gosh. I have it in my notes, like, four different times. Just poor girl. You know what? I wanted to title this episode Desperate Women because all the women here just exude desperation throughout the whole plot line of this episode. We have uh, Annie being desperate. Like, she she doesn't want to give up the relationships that she has with both Roman and Olivia. Mm-hmm. And then we had Olivia, obviously, desperate. that She wants Achoa to stay with her, even though he's a figment of her imagination. And then we have Destiny desperate because she wants to get revenge for Andreas. She has no idea what he did, how mm-hmm. much of a jerk-off he is, uh, right? Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, so she, in the funeral... Uh, which we know was from her vision now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right, we confirmed it. Confirmed. Which is, she she opened up his body, reached in there, um, and then she saw the vision, like, as if she was in Andreas's place with the gun in her face, right? And these, do, you, like, do you think that, though? Because, okay, that was a really quick vision. We never saw Andreas's face. We know 
Destiny can see some things of the past, but some things of the future. Do you mm-hmm. think that was actually a future vision? Whoa. She's in the situation. Whoa. She's begging for someone's life. That's crazy. Mm. I, I interpret it as past, but yeah. it could like, it could all switch around. Yeah. It, yeah mm-hmm. I, you know what? I like that, too, actually. Mm-hmm. I like that it's it could be future I mean, or past. I understand she's trying to find answers from what happened to Andreas, how he died. Yeah. But we also know that she can see the future, too. Yeah. And it's such a dark vision. Who so, knows? yeah, it is super dark, super ambiguous. So I, I like the ambiguity. It could be that maybe this is going to happen to her. Maybe this is going to happen to Peter. Um, we don't really know. Um, but all the things we do know for sure is that Bajram and uh, the Andreas's friends are idiots yes. because they totally can't lie. And uh, and just they they want to do they want to do the greater good, but at the same time they don't want any kind of confrontation at all. But in fairness, Andreas did them wrong, he so did. I can yeah. understand where they don't want to have any part in it anymore. Yeah, I don't see where Peter thought he was not going to be able to hide the he would be able to hide the truth from her. No, right? Like, Especially I, the I'm family. Like, are you a fool? Yeah, yeah. He tried. He should have told her the truth right from the beginning. It would have saved her. Uh, so much trouble saved him a lot of trouble. Like, hey, so cousin, this sucks, yeah. but here it is. Look at how many lies he had to plant, you know, and things he had to do to just not tell her. And he still hasn't told her. He just says, but, when he saves her from knifing um, Ma- Ma- Milan. Ma- Milan, he says, don't do it, just drop it. You're going to kill someone, I can't believe you. And now, look, she's going to the cops. And now she knows. I mean, we know that Destiny is smart. She's street smart, she's book smart. She can, she can figure it out on her own. But in this case, her judgment is clouded because she's a woman in grieving and she doesn't understand why. Mm-hmm. Why? Because no one gives her any information mm-hmm. and her cousin... Who t- and taking lied. it into her own hands. Yeah. yeah. And he, now, now she also knows Roman's involved as well. Yep. Oh How many gosh. people were involved in she this? She heard his voice. And yeah. I, he tried, and I could tell he tried to mask it, right? And obviously we don't see that it's Roman, like, leaving the phone booth because he was, like, shrouded by, like, the glass. Oh, yeah, we knew it was him, though. But it was yeah. him. Yeah, of course, him and Peter were the only ones who knew where the body was. Mm-hmm. So I'm just really sad, like, she's turning against everybody and you know what i liked about destiny this episode other than her you know i didn't like her stupidity right but what i did like was her street smarts and how she could be a really good psychic detective that is so awesome that she was able to do that stuff and i really want to read the rest of uh the the desire book to see what kind of stuff she goes through and if there's like private detective stuff with her in there i can see that i I mean she she does have a very nice apartment so yeah, <laughs> it would make sense. It would totally make sense. And she always she's an entrepreneur. She needs yeah. to make money. But on in the fairness, side. you know, Andreas's friends did say, yeah, she's a gypsy. Er, she she's a psychic, but didn't know her own man was cheating on yeah. her because so, she was like clouded by love and tunnel vision, tunnel total, right. total And she finds information when she wants to look for it. Like it doesn't just like happen necessarily. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's we got to wrap it up, guys. Let's yeah. go ahead and move into our predictions. Real fast. Okay. All right. Predictions. Um, predictions. Yeah. So many. Um, well, now we know that Destiny has the reveal with Peter. She knows Peter was somehow involved. She knows Roman is now involved. But So I think she's going to have a fight with Peter. But in the end, there will be a situation where she tries to save Peter's life. Maybe. And I think that would explain the so-called ambiguous vision yeah. she had. Then maybe she's begging for Peter's life because Peter's now in trouble. Yeah. Um, and then that whole relationship would be resolved because, you know, we can't split them up. They're awesome to watch together. And then Olivia, now that she's attacking people slash ooh, peers and her own kind and just regular civilians, I think she'll kill Annie. 
Ooh. I think she'll kill her own kind. Yeah. Oh yeah. no. And then maybe Roman will kill Olivia in return as revenge for killing Annie. Okay. And then mm-hmm. also, I don't think Bryce is dead. Build a new body for Olivia. I think he might attempt to build this new body for Olivia because no, she she wants a new body. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think he's going to fail, whether it be on purpose or a mistake. And then Olivia will kill Price for good. <gasps> ah, lots of death. Lots oh of death. Yes. A lot of stuff. I'm in dark. Yeah. Well, Mary Lou. I'm gonna say I I was uh, upset at the end of this episode, and I watched a little bit ahead just because I needed clarification. <laughs> so ah. I, I won't say anything else. But I like I I broke the rules. Oh. I didn't go that far deep. But I got the answers I needed. I didn't. Okay. And Sean can attest. I yes, didn't. She hasn't. I haven't. But um, let, let me go ahead and say that I... Uh, well, obviously, we know Price is not going to be dead quite yet. I feel mm-hmm. like Olivia is going to kill Price because he won't be able to build her a new body. Uh, she's going to be very disappointed. But it's not going to happen until the very <gasps> last episode. I don't think it's going to happen in yeah. episode nine um, or before that. Um, he puts her in the Greek delivery guy. Oh, wow, because he can do that, right? <laughs> but then it's not... That was a fail of a test, yeah, though. Yeah, well, but it's not much really... How that evolved? Yeah, it's not like really them, though. It's like mm-hmm. a separate consciousness, which do, I guess it doesn't matter. If she still wants to live, that's a <gasps> way of living. Oh, she'll be in the computer. She'll be the new Siri. Oh, she'll be... <laughs> she'll, she'll be so mean to you. <laughs> she will. Like, she'll Olivia, be chastising where, you. <laughs> what time does Starbucks close? Shut up. Oh, <laughs> I just, yeah. We, we need to get out of here, though, mm-hmm. But so let's go ahead and uh, wrap up with... Uh, with the show uh mm-hmm. how about we go ahead and give our handles where can yeah. we find everybody at i'm mary lou mandel you can find me on all social media at mary lou mandel and you can follow me on twitter at seraphini tv you guys can find me on twitter and instagram at sean austin o that's s-e-a-n-a-u-s-t-i-n-o on twitter and instagram yeah, i just said that uh, <laughs> but be sure to also check out my book on the iBookstore. Uh, it's called City of Angels and Discontent. Uh, download it. Write me a review. Let me know what you guys think. And um, Thank you, Joel. Uh, yeah, and thanks so much to Joel De La Fuente for joining us. And thanks to our associate producer uh, in the booth, uh, Alexis Torres, for putting up with us and running a long show. Yeah, and girl. We'll talk to you guys. Woohoo! And we'll talk to you guys next week. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. Yeah, you're totally American. 